All right, this morning we are going to walk another ancient path. We've been talking about these things called ancient paths. We, we, this, is, this is a follow-up series to our Enchanted series that we started at the beginning of the year. And it comes out of a verse in Jeremiah. I think we have this first thing in your notes there. Jeremiah spoke of something called ancient paths in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Is that going to get up on that board or not? There we go. Um, all right, Jeremiah says this. Thus says the Lord... Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Well, this generation there ended up saying, but we will not walk in that. So this admonition from scripture can go unheeded. right? There there are ancient paths that are available to us, but that doesn't mean I'm going to walk them. And one of the things that I appreciate, this imagery that's here, it's really, I think it fits our times very well, is Jeremiah points out to people that if you'll go out to the roadways, right? Roadways are well-traveled ways. It's where the crowds are. It's where the traffic is. It's where people are doing life. And so he says, you know, go out, go out to the roadways and see how people are doing life. Then he says, but look for the ancient paths. You know, these places where the grass has grown over these other ways, places that that people used to walk in those ways. Those are the ways to travel, and you'll find rest for your souls. So here, you and I have the same opportunity that Jeremiah spoke about. We can travel the highways of life that everybody else is traveling on, Or we can find these ancient paths and walk on them and let them have an impact on our souls. Now, now some of you guys will remember this. If you're about my age uh, or older, there was a day in which when you traveled places, you didn't take an interstate to get there. I know that's like, what? Really? I mean, there were, you know, going into New Orleans, I grew up, if we were going in town, I grew up, we went airline highway to Tulane. And Tulane into the heart of the town, right? And so I can remember being a kid coming back. It was that that place right there when you are leaving New Orleans, the London Inn, I think, right there on Airline Highway. And I remember that that sign. It had like this strange spiderweb-looking sign. It was always haunting to me as a kid. We drove past it. I kind of looked at it like, oh my gosh, that's a scary sign. Um, but that's the way you traveled. And when we were kids, we traveled from town to town. We we rode through towns. You know, you. You, you caught the traffic light on Main Street and you drove down the heart of these little towns. If we were going to Florida or North Louisiana, we were traveling through these little locations of America, you know, and then people sang songs about, them. you know, you get your kicks from Route 66, right? Not from I-12 or I-10. There's no songs about them, I don't think. But you know what's interesting is, is as people's lifestyle changes and the suburbs got created... And the pace of life picked up. You know, we, we needed interstate systems because basically life was about getting from here to there. And we just need to get there. We need to get there quickly. But, but one of the things that the interstate system did is it diverted traffic away from the towns and cities. 
So now you, you travel on an interstate and many times you just don't see anything, right? I mean, one of the most lovely drives is, you know, go to Florida on I-10. It's just like pine trees and billboards and pine trees. You don't see anything. You're not traveling through a, an old town where there's character and the people there have an expression of their lives and their culture and there's shops to experience and the old homes with architecture. You're on the interstate. It's not designed for you to see anything. It's just designed for you to get where you're going. Jeremiah says, you know, there's, but there's stuff to be seen on these ancient paths. There's, there's scenery there. There's stuff to experience and it has an impact on you. And I, I think today, too many of us have a spirituality that's kind of like an interstate system of spirituality. We're just, we're just in a hurry. We're just trying to do our life. We're just trying to fit something else in. And, and so just get me there, right? Just give me something quick. Give me, you know, give me, a, give me a devotional that's pre-digested. I don't have to take much time. It's just a paragraph for me to read so I can just get on my way because I got places to be, man, and things to do. And ancient paths, uh, they move slow, but there's stuff to see on them. And what you see leaves an impact on your soul. Right? Jeremiah used this illustration to say, you know, if you travel in these ancient paths, you, you, you'll find rest for your souls. Remember, Jesus said the same thing. Come to me, all you who are wearied and heavy laden. Take my yoke on you and learn from me. And you will find rest for your souls. So there's something to experience. There's something to see on these ancient paths. There's someone to encounter on these ancient paths. It's Jesus Christ himself. And you can, you know, today it's uh, sort of nebulous spirituality is in vogue. So... There's no rhyme and reason for anything. It's just kind of everything's, you know, everything's mysterious. It just happens mysteriously. But for Jesus, it was specific. He said, take my yoke on you and learn something. Learn of me. Right? Travel down a pathway where you actually see something and you encounter God in such a way that you absorb something. Then, then you'll find rest for your soul. So, so what's at stake on what you and I are talking about and what? Peter and, and Evan have talked to us about in the last couple of weeks. Well, what's at stake is the condition of my soul. The sense of peace that's there. The sense of joy that's there. The sense of faith awakened in my heart that's there. And I almost guarantee you that, that if there's not peace, there's not the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy, patience and kindness, if these things are not flooding our souls you might want to check where you've been driving lately. Have you been spending time on ancient paths where you're encountering something that's affecting your soul? Or is your soul just drying up while you just travel the interstates and you're getting where you're going and it's quick and it's efficient, but there's nothing to see, right? We want to see something. So there's, there's a variety of ancient paths in Scripture, and we won't exhaust all of them. We're just picking a few of them just to, to run through. But the one I want to look at today is the ancient path of tithing. I mean, you guys think of tithing as an ancient path, right? If you remember, 
Part of the thing that led us into this was that moment where Moses had led the people in Deuteronomy. He leads them to the edge of the promised land. And he says, over in that land over there, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. There's all this great stuff waiting for you in the land. But, but, but be careful. There's something about enjoying all that stuff that has this other effect on you. It can have the effect of making you forget God. So he installed some things, and God installed these things at Mount Sinai, these, these ancient paths, these things. If you walk in these things, they will remind you about God. And tithing gets installed as a means of reminding us about God. And if there was any place, I don't know if I could say there's any place more significant for God to find a way to stick a sign down on the highway of life for us to notice than to show up in the world of our money and to stick a sign right there. Because, you know, no matter who we are, money touches our lives. Money touches so much about us. We feel a certain way about life. We feel threatened by it. We feel released into it. We feel adventurous. We feel concerned. Money touches our world. And God says, you know, let let me show up in that category. Let me show up in that category. Every time money touches you, I'm going to show up in that moment. And that's what the tithe does. So let let me teach us a little bit about the tithe this morning and how it's an ancient path for us. I want to just cover these things. I put this in your outline there, a quick little outline for us. What is tithing? Cover that today. What purpose does it serve? Why, Why do we do this? And how do I walk on this ancient path? Well, what is tithing? Let me get this thought from Randy Alcorn, who's written a really excellent book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. I suggest before you go to heaven, you read that. He says the meaning of the word tithe is a tenth part, right? So tithe, tenth, that's pretty much what the word means. Today, though, the term tithing is erroneously used of all giving, right? You bump into somebody or maybe we have these conversations as pastors where somebody says, you know, I've been tithing lately, you know, we've been tithing. And and what most folks mean by that is they just mean they've been giving, right? So if you came back and said, so you're you're giving 10% of what God gives to you, you're you're giving that back to God. No, 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 I just, you know, we've just been tithing $100. Well, that's not tithing, that's giving, which is good, but it's not tithing. He says the first fruits offering included the first production of a vineyard, the first annual production of grain, wine, olive oil, sheared wool, the first of any coarse meal, hunting, and all the produce belonged to the Lord. So that's, that's what the tithe was. It touched every aspect of life. It was designed by God to do that, and it was a tenth portion of everything that God was providing into someone's life. Where do we get this idea from? Right? Was this made up by televangelists as they were trying to figure out how to support their cause and get you to pay so they could stay on air next week and appeal to you again for more money? Right, where does the idea of tithing come from? You know, no matter how much baggage it may have, it, it comes from somewhere. So when we look back in scripture, um, I find a lot of people actually start their ideas that they've formed about tithing in the wrong place. They they tend to get an idea from Leviticus about tithing. So they show up at Mount Sinai. But tithing is in scripture long before we ever get to Mount Sinai. And that's very important. 
Because there, there has been for some folks this idea that tithing was somehow part of an, an obscure law system that should no longer even be talked about because we, we live differently. And I, I just want to argue greatly against that. Uh, when we see in scripture today, I think there's a lot more of a strategy in God's purpose in why does God step into our world at the same moment that money steps into our world. And that need hasn't changed at all. So there's a redemptive, helpful element in the tithe. If you go back to Genesis 14, the tithe makes its, its debut here in an interesting way. Uh, and I appreciate that there's no fanfare here. It just shows up like everybody gets it. And that's an interesting thing. Right? Genesis 14 is telling the story about Abraham after he has fought a battle uh, against three kings in a valley and he's won. It says, after this return from the defeat of Kedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Havah. This is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. Well, there's a lot there. You should be asking a bunch of questions when you come to a verse like this. Right? Who is this Melchizedek guy? There was a priesthood before there was a priesthood. And that's not the only place where a priesthood gets referred to a little bit as well. It says, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. How did Abram know to do that? This is hundreds of years before we get to Mount Sinai. There's no instruction that's been given in the law that requires 10% being given. There's something in the heart of Abram that knows to do this. Matter of fact, the Israelites, descendants of of Abraham, are not the only religions in the world, historically, who gave 10%. So there's something in place here that the Bible doesn't bother to tell you. How did this get in place? But it was Abraham's recognition. Now what's interesting here, there's so much imagery here, right? This this is an ancient path. So Abram decides to drive down tithe highway here, this pathway of tithing. And and listen to what's in this verse here. He's going to see stuff, right? He sits with this priest of God, this representative of God, and has a a bit of a covenant meal with him. There's bread and wine, and they're going to sit down in that moment. And he's going to be reminded of something about the specialness of this relationship that he has with God. And God's providing things to him. And then Melchizedek is going to highlight something that plays right into, why would I give you 10%? Why would I do that? Why take the battle money that I put my life on the line and almost lost my life in fighting for this and here, this is the reward. Why would I give you 10%? Well, two reasons are here. And this is good that Abram recognizes it. First, this is being given to God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, the owner 
of everything, including all the spoils you just took in these battles. So to give 10% to God was simply to recognize, hey, this whole pile of stuff here that all those kings just handed over to me, it's yours, God. You are the possessor of heaven and earth. And, and not only that, why do we even have this stuff? Blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Abram, why do you have this stuff in the first place? Because God delivered it to me. Right? Th- this is the kind of thoughts that come when you sit down and contemplate. This just came into my life and I'm going to give 10% of it back to God. Well, these other thoughts, why would I do that? Well, well, because he's the possessor of everything. And I only have it in my life because he has delivered it to me. And I want you to see, if you stay on the interstate, you don't get to see these things. Right? It's only when you travel the paths that you start to encounter this. Jacob, we encounter tithing in the life of Jacob as well in Genesis 28, again, long before we get to Mount Sinai. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I've set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Jacob doesn't read from Mount Sinai when he does this, does he? He just, there's something in his heart that he just knows. There is this role that God plays in my life. And I acknowledge that role by giving a full tenth back to God because I recognize some things, right? Here's another man who's ventured off the interstate onto a path, that a path maybe that not everybody's practicing. But when he does this out of this recognition of responding to something, right? He's going to give this in response to something he sees about God. Well, what does he see? He says, I see that God will be with me and will keep me. I see that. I'm aware of that. I recognize that. And he responds to that by giving a full tenth. He says, God will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. How many of us are concerned about the bread that we eat and the clothing that we wear? Just the provisional aspects of life. And then he says, I will return to my father's house in peace. And God will be my God. And I will give you a full tenth of everything. See, there's, there's recognition of something here that causes one to give in response to it. And you've you got to get off the highway to see these things. That's what he did. He traveled an ancient path and it brought things to mind. So in his heart, his response was, I want, I want to give a tenth back to God because I recognize these things about him and how he operates in my life. Right? So this is the origin of tithing. And then we get clarity on the origin. What you get more in the, the old covenant that's given at Mount Sinai is not the idea of tithing, but what to do with it. What do you do with it? 
Well, you're going to take it and you're going to support the Levites with it. That wasn't the invention of tithing. It's not like we go to Mount Sinai and we get this invention of the tithe and we we hear about it for the first time. It already exists. In the Old Testament, now you're being told, here's what you're going to do with it now. Now that there's a Levitical priesthood and these guys are not going to inherit anything in the land, you're going to support the Levites with that 10% tithe. So you don't get it invented there. You just get it clarified as to how to use it. But turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Because I think there's something that what God is doing in us, we need. Right? God, I need you to do these things in me. I, need, I, I have a need of tithing to God. My soul needs to look to him a certain way. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. Look at verse 9. I can't see back there. I don't have my glasses on. Why didn't somebody tell me? Oh, look at that. Actually, these don't help me read, though. That's why I don't like to read them. Verse 9. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. All right, so you have this, this is the pattern that's often in Proverbs, especially in this chapter, where there's an instruction that's given followed by a, a, a benefit, a blessing that's going to come as a result. All right, so we're, we're told to do something. We're told to honor the Lord. It's a nebulous phrase until you flesh it out and you create real ways of responding to God that are honorable. And so one of the ways that's given here, right? I mean, everybody in this room would say, hey, I want to honor the Lord. You want to honor the Lord with your life? I want to honor the Lord with my life. Okay, well, there's, there's, there's ancient paths. And when you travel on them, you acknowledge that God's idea is right here. And I want to honor you by valuing and traveling on the pathways you've provided. So of all the things we've already talked about, you know, fasting is an ancient path. Fellowship is an ancient path. How do I honor God? Well, I honor God by traveling on the roadways that he said are valuable and good. And in this setting, we honor God through tithing. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. That's how we honor God. Now back up a little bit though, because there's a context here that so identifies some of our need in this category. Look back to to verse 1. Let's just skim through this for a second. The advice being given here sounds this way. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you right this is a this is an ancient path language this is jesus saying there's rest for your soul how do you how does the writer here say find rest for your souls well my son do not forget my teaching and let your heart keep these things right and that's not too different than what moses said right when you remember to do some things, when you get into this land that's flowing with all kinds of fun stuff and interesting things, remember to do some things. So remember, we've got a problem on our hands. Every person, be humbled by this reality. You have a tendency to forget. 
I'm not talking about your grocery list here or whether or not you paid the bill at the end of the month. I'm pretty good at those too. Forgetting. But the Bible makes it much, much worse. You and I are described as having a tendency to forget God. And oh, listen, I, I wish it weren't so. And I hate that about myself. And I sense distance between me and the Lord. And I've just relegated other things to critical and important and sacrifice for that and make room for that and make time for that. It's lamentable. But it is the condition that we live in. I appreciated Eric's song that he led us in earlier. There is a condition here. And forgetfulness is a condition you and I have to be aware of. We have a tendency to forget God. And so these Proverbs help us. Look in verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. There is this need for you and I to do life every day mindful of steadfast love and faithfulness. Mindful of that. Bound around our neck. Visible to us. I need to venture out into life with an awareness of steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, I think this definitely has application for our own commending or giving of steadfast love, our own activity of faithfulness. But I think the bigger connection is to the steadfast love of God and his faithfulness. Because you and I don't know anything about either one of those words. Until we've gotten around God a little bit. So this verse is very much a highlighting of you and I need to do life with an awareness of God's steadfast love toward us. Of his faithfulness to us. Ray Ortland. In his commentary said, the key here is steadfast love and faithfulness. Those words describe God himself. What are we counting on about God? We are staking everything on God's being steadfastly loving and faithful to us forever through Christ because he promised to be that. We are staking everything on that. Now think for a moment, because this verse and this reality flies in the face of why some of us have a hard time tithing. Because we don't think we'll have enough if we do. I don't know how to make my month work if I give away a significant chunk of my income. I don't know how to pay for all the things. I don't know how to meet the needs that are in my world. That ancient path of tithing, it thrusts you before God to see him as steadfast in his love and faithful in meeting our needs. And every time you give to God, you have the opportunity to be reminded of that. To wrestle with the faith that it takes to do that. To bring my heart into that moment where I I, I say, am am I going to part with this? Am I going to take this portion and give this to God? And I have to wrestle and contend. Well, what will happen if I do? Well, you know, immediately the checkbook's going to be in trouble. And, and how I get to the end of the month is going to be in trouble. And, and, and certain needs that might not be met. And man, over the course of a year, look at all that I could pay off or get out of debt or do something with. And say, right, that's, that's interstate talk, Right? 
That, that's how we drive on an interstate. It's just, you know, the bottom line. Let me just get to the end. God along the way says, no, no, no. I want you to get off the interstate and take an ancient path. And I want you to see something about me. And you're only going to see it if you give in such a way that it requires you to look for it in me. That's what the tithe does. The tithe makes you look to God to be faithful to you. Otherwise, I will forget to do that. It's just the nature of our makeup. Look at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. Right? What, what is this proverb trying to get at? It's trying to keep us from forgetting. That's where it started. My son, don't forget. You have a tendency to forget. There needs to be measured activity in your life that will guard you from forgetting. You're going to forget. You're going to forget to trust in the Lord. You're going to forget to acknowledge him in all your ways. And then the tithe comes along and says, let me help you. Let me help you to acknowledge the Lord. Let me help you with God awareness. And God installs this thing in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. That, that first fruits dimension is huge. And it's helpful. Because it basically means the first thing you do with what God provides to you is you give it to him. First thing you do. Right, listen, can, can you guys listen through non-defensive ears in this moment? Right? My soul needs this. This, this, is, this is not a tax. This is not God sending mafia hitmen to twist your arm and to take from you to support his kingdom by force. My soul needs this if it's going to find rest. It needs to travel down this ancient path. I need awareness of God. I need to acknowledge God. I need to be mindful of God. The second money or provision touches my life. I need to not forget God. The moment you start tasting the land flowing with milk and honey, you need to acknowledge God lest you forget him. Don't think for a second that if this category goes dormant in your life or dead in your life, that your mindfulness of God is staying healthy. It's not because money touches everything about you. Everything about you is touched by money. And so God says, yeah, I want you to acknowledge me. I want you to be mindful of me. Randy Alcorn says, the giving of first fruits made an important statement. Said this, we give of our first and best to you. Lord, because we recognize all good things come from you, right? Giving is a means of recognizing. When something shows up in my life and I give to God, 
It's because I recognize it came from God. And therefore, my first response is to give back to him. In doing so, we recognize our responsibility to sustain the spiritual leadership provided for us. The tithe denoted the amount of offering, first fruits, the nature of the offering. The nature of first fruits requires, listen carefully, that it be taken off the top. It's both the best and the first. As soon as it's harvested or received, it's to be given to the Lord. As soon as it comes in. It's not to be stored up, hidden, hoarded, or distributed in any other way. Why, Why does this matter? My son, don't forget. My people, when you enter the land and you dwell in cities that you didn't build... You drink out of cisterns that you didn't dig. And you eat from vineyards that you didn't plant. Be careful that you don't forget me. Right? What, what, what are you doing in your life to make sure you don't forget God? Are you flattering yourself and saying, well, I would never do that. There may be others who would do that. There may be those Old Testament people that would do that. But I would never do that. Well, the Bible says otherwise. You and I are needing help in that category. And giving to God is a means of helping me. It it requires an acknowledgement from me. Right? This giving serves a purpose that I need. I want to live in a land that's very enchanting. And I don't want to be enchanted by it. I'm going to need some help. And God provides this as a means of help. So what purpose does this ancient path of the tithe serve? few quick points there. First, it awakens our awareness of God. It provides scenery for our life. It provides us. You travel down this road, it requires your soul to see certain things. And as a matter of fact, if you don't see these things, I promise you, you, you won't give. If you don't see the faithfulness of God, you can't possibly afford to give, can you? So I'm gonna have to see that. And as I venture into giving, I have the opportunity to see it. I'm traveling the ancient path. I'm going to see that. And I'm going to see God meet me in that. And I'm going to have stories to tell and remembrances of that beautiful home I saw as I drove down that road. And I tell other people about it. That, you know, I remember one year we would have such a hard year. And we just said, you know, God, we're just going to be faithful. And we're going to give and we're going to trust you. And then God showed up this way and this way and this way. And all over this room, there are stories like that. How'd you get those stories? You didn't get them driving down the interstate. You got them when you got off the traffic of life pathway into an ancient path. And you saw something about God. And it enabled in you an ability to give to the Lord. Remember, Proverbs 3 starts with this concern about us forgetting. There is this tendency for us to forget Judges 1, I think I put this in your outline there. There arose a generation after Joshua. So just one generation. Remember, Joshua hung out with Moses. Moses was the guy who said, hey, don't, remember, don't forget me when you get in the land over there. Remember Moses tells him that? Joshua's one of his buds. One generation removed that says there arose a generation after Joshua who knew not the Lord nor the great things that he had done. be kind of hard to forget God if every time money touched your life, you stopped and remembered him, wouldn't it? It's a good reminder. 
in a good area of our lives. Romans 1 says something very insightful, a bit of a warning in the verse as well. Romans 1 verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Right, so there is this ability to know God at some level, but not to honor God. Or you don't have to raise your hands, but if I said, hey, how many of you guys want to honor God with your life? Everybody would raise their hands. But you can know God and have no idea, how do I honor God? Well, in this context, this idea of giving thanks, the tithe is an expression of thanks. It is a stop to recognize, God, what, what just came into my bank account came from you. God, thank you that you've yet again provided for me in my life. But there were a people in Romans chapter 1 who did not do that. Though they said they believed in God and they knew God, they did not honor God. Proverbs 3 is about honoring God with your wealth and with the first of your increase. But it says, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's the condition of one who forgets God. You just start thinking foolishly in all kinds of categories. He says that since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God. That's what, that's what Abraham was doing when all this money came to him and he gave back a tenth. He was acknowledging God. He's saying, God, I had this because you made me victorious. I had this because you created it and you own everything and you're the possessor of it all. So when God brings that provision into our lives, there's an opportunity for gratitude and for acknowledgement in our lives. And it may be one of the most important moments for us. Secondly, it protects us from the soul-burdening, wearisome of provision. I'm going to look at that a little bit more carefully in just a moment in Luke chapter 12. But you and I are made to be creatures who are incomplete. We are made for God. And no matter how much you and I go to work on trying to fix how we feel and make our life completely self-sustaining, etc., establish a big enough bank account to where there's never going to be a day that we wonder whether we have provision, it is a soul wearying enterprise to feel like we are adequately provided for. And God designed it that way. Because we're supposed to always be mindful of our need for him. Money never fixes our lives. Just provides for some daily stuff. Only God can be the one who fixes that. Third, it reminds us of God's purpose for the earth and what he's doing on the earth. Proverbs 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Your car is his. Your bank account is his. Your clothing belong to him. The food you're eating, the air you're about to take in and breathe next belongs to God. 
You paid any rent lately for that air. It's not yours. You didn't create it. See, but we're Americans. We don't get this. Right? We're the land of the free and the home of the brave. Make your own way. Make your own money. It's interesting through the years to hear people, especially people with money, if they respond to God, like, you know, there's this unique opportunity, there's some need in the body of Christ, or, you know, maybe just it's helping out with some facilities cost, and somebody steps forward and, you know, lays down a big lump. You know, and it's kind of like presented like this. Hope God knows how big a favor I'm doing him. I mean, I work hard for my money, and I'm okay with letting him have some of it. Really? Well, you're about to be real surprised, aren't you? You're about to discover that the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. The real question is, what you doing holding on to so much of it? It's not how, huh, look at me, you know. Oh, by the way, I finally found something that I believe in. About time this church did something I can get behind. So I'm going to give a sizable donation now for... No, no, no. That's not how God has designed giving. God has designed giving that the moment the sovereign God of the universe chooses by his good pleasure to visit your life with provision, your knee-jerk reflex is to acknowledge that came from the possessor of heaven and earth and I give back to you in order to acknowledge you did this, you generously provided for me. Again, God, thank you and I honor you and everything that I have is yours. That's what the tithe is designed to remind us of over and over and over again. See, there's a price to be paid for ownership arrogance. And there's a great freedom, some of you know this, there's a great freedom in renting. Did you know that? Right? You rent something and the air conditioner goes out. What do you do? Call the landlord, right? Hey, dude. Your air conditioner's broke again. <laughs> Come fix that thing. If you own it, what do you do? Oh, geez, I don't know how we're going to pay for this, right? It's a different feeling. So there's a little bit of good news in this and being able to have God break you in on the idea that everything you have is rent. You don't own any of it. So what do I do if, if this breaks? Go consult the owner. Go tell the owner, your car's broke. God, you know that car you provided for me? It broke down again. What, what you going to do about that? <laughs> it's a little liberating, a little helpful. Randy Alcorn says, the first fruits offering reminded people of God's ownership. They saw God as the source of all life and blessing. Tithing gives perspective. It reminds us that all we are and all we have is from God. Tithing's not a, a tip thrown mindlessly down on a table after a meal, but a meaningful expression of dependence upon God and gratitude to Him. God owns the place and God is up to something. 
And then he allows us to participate in that up to something, right? In the Old Testament, he, has, he chose a nation, a nation that would be a kingdom of priests, right? You remember this? So there was this redemptive purpose that God was going to bring into all the earth through this nation. In that nation was going to be this tabernacle that traveled around with them and a priesthood that stood to represent the work of Christ on behalf of fallen humanity. And this message would be broadcast through the light of this nation. God is a redeemer. There is forgiveness found in him. Your sins can be paid for. And you came to the tabernacle and you got a life lesson in how to get right with God. The innocent one must suffer on your behalf. That's what you encountered when they came to the tabernacle. And when they gave their tithes, they were used to support that mission on earth. You get into the New Testament and we're still on a mission We're still proclaiming the redemptive purpose of God. We are making folks aware, not of a tabernacle, but of the God who is the sacrifice and who has laid his life down, who is now making available to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And we are bringing that message to the ends of the earth. That's the great commission. When you and I give to God, we give out of an awareness of who he is, but an awareness of what he's doing here on earth. There's something going on right now. The kingdom is expanding. It is touching people's lives. Worshippers are being called from every tribe and nation and tongue to give their lives back to the one for whom they were created. See, every time I give, every time I travel that ancient path, I get to see something. I get reminded that that's, that's what's going on today. That's the agenda of the kingdom. And so every time money comes into my life, I get a chance to reinvigorate my own heart toward the mission of God on planet earth. I need that. Lest I forget that God's actually doing something besides getting me further down my dream list all around. Lastly, the tithe turns our attention to transcendent things and away from imminent things. Remember what we talked about in the series before this one. Ours is a time specializing, highlighting, making it feel natural and normal to only focus on the right here and the right now. And when I say right here, I don't mean right here. I mean right here. And right now. What, what, what do you mean to me right here and right now? What does life mean to me right here and right now? What does money mean for me right here and right now? Right? We're trapped in right here and right now. Like never before in the history of humanity, it seems like. These imminent ideas press on. And it almost feels normal and natural for us to be concerned about the same things. And somehow God has installed this thing called the tithe. Which pulls our attention to transcendent things. Things that are not just right here and right now. To a God who is transcendent. To purposes that are transcendent. Things that are happening on the other side of the globe. Things that will go into the next generation. Things that go into eternity. That are not right here and right now. And every time I travel down this ancient path. 
I encounter those things. I get reminded of transcendence. My soul needs to be reminded of transcendent things. And so does yours. In your outline there, it says this. To tithe is to forego something imminent and to invest it in something transcendent. This is needed to guard my heart from becoming kingdom blind and only living and designing my life for right here and right now. If I don't get some help with this, I will go kingdom blind. I will, I will lose my sensitivity and my awareness of the kingdom of God and just only be concerned about my own well-being. What happens for me next? How do I get to the next wonderful place for me? A few years ago, we became aware that our youngest son, Drew, had a, an eye condition called amblyopia. And what amblyopia does is there is a breakdown between the eyeball and the brain of neurology. And the neurology gets weak and begins to not send signals clearly from the eyeball to the brain. And so eventually that eye stops seeing things. It just, they just become blurred images, can become darkened images, shady, shadowy kind of things that it's like the brain can't make any sense of it because the signal it's getting is so poor. And I remember when we were learning about this and sitting with the doctor and he was trying to explain to us what was going on because we had heard the term lazy eye and it said, well, it's not what you're thinking it is. He said, because quite honestly, it, it, it might be nothing wrong with his eye. As a matter of fact, if we could take your eyeball out or an eyeball with 20-20 vision and stick it in his eye, he still wouldn't see because the, the neurology has become so weakened that it doesn't transfer the signals back to his brain correctly anymore. So one of the ways that they treat amblyopia, and some of you guys have had smaller children. If your kids are younger, you, you catch this early, uh, it's treatable. But the way they treat it is interesting. They... One eye may not, may not, could be healthy, could see great. And what the brain does is just starts to just give up on that bad eye and devote all of its resources to the good eye. And so slowly this bad eye just gets worse and worse and weaker and weaker. So the way in which they strengthen this dimension is to patch the good eye and force the brain to use that weak eye so it can, it can get strengthened. And I thought that's interesting because, you know, in this world that you and I live in, there, there, is, there, are, there are two dimensions that we're supposed to see. We are supposed to see imminent things. We're supposed to see right here, right now. We live in right here, right now. So one eye needs to see what's going on right here, right now, around me, with me, influential to me. But the other eye needs to see transcendent things. It needs to see beyond me. It needs to see to the edges of the earth. It needs to see other tribes and nations and tongues. It needs to see the next generation. It needs to see into eternity and a plan that exists there that today's actions affect that. It needs to see an invisible God more vibrantly. But in this enchanted world that we live in, it's like we've got spiritual amblyopia. That eye has become weaker and weaker and weaker to where we just don't see much through it anymore. And all we see is imminent things right here, right now, critical, important, freaked out, worried about imminent things in our lives. Tithing 
is like an eye patch. It, it patches imminent things because know for sure when you tithe, it's going to take money away from you. So if somebody thinks that's not going to happen, that, that's going to be a real surprise for you when you go to do this. Right, you're going to start with this amount of money and then when you're done, there'll be 10% less. And so what you did with that 10%, you're not going to do now because you don't have it anymore. So if that was your go on vacation money, if that was your send my kids to school money, if that, whatever it was, whatever you used that for, to tithe it is to put a patch on that thing and to no longer see those things, but to force yourself to see transcendent things. If you don't do that, your transcendent eye just becomes weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And all you can see then, right? God gave them over to a depraved mind and the futility of their thinking. It's an amblyopia description. And you and I can fall in that category as well. Listen, the tithe, for whatever you've ever thought about the tithe to be, the tithe is a gift from God to help me see transcendent things because the one thing I'm more likely to get locked in on imminent right here, right now stuff is with my money. I'm going to live right here, right now with whatever I can get my hands on money-wise. God says, how about you take some of that money and you invest it in transcendent things? So that your heart goes in that direction. Let me read this last passage here. We're going to stop. Luke chapter 12. Turn there real quick. Is a story of transcendent and imminent things. Luke 12 verse 13. And just notice. Notice what's in this, these people's hearts. Notice the condition of their lives. Notice the consequences of getting this wrong someone in the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me right i mean you stop right there the savior of the world has come to town he raises the dead he heals the sick he casts out demon he blows people's minds with his teaching and when he shows up what do you want to talk about Jesus, I'm so glad he's here. You need to settle something between me and my brother. What is this guy into? Right? Right here, right now. Can't see a, I can't see anything transcendent. You can walk on water in front of me. It's not going to matter. I just want you to talk to me about money. (laughs) Verse 14. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him a parable. Saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Notice this. If you're waiting for the day that you got a lot of money. To be rich toward God, that day won't come. Because the craving for that richness is feeding something you're not aware of. 
It's feeding the sense of security that you get from how big your bank account gets. But the bigger it gets, the bigger you need it to get. Because your life expands with it. And suddenly, if you got this windfall and all this extra, you'll just build bigger bank accounts to store your money in. Right? Because this is not a man trained in transcendence. Verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Right? Finally, got so much money that I can finally relax. How many know you can have no money and relax in God? That's what he was talking about. Travel the ancient paths and find rest for your soul. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself imminently, right here, right now, and is not rich toward God transcendently. This man needs to be rescued from this. This is a miserable place to live. Fighting issues of relationship are in this passage because here's a person living in the fear that I'm not going to have enough. And then Jesus follows this up with another story. He says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll put on. Life is more than right here and right now. Right? Life is more than that. But I just can't seem to turn the corner and really get convinced of that and find peace in my soul. I'm just so worried about what I'm going to put on next and what I'm going to have provision for, how my needs are going to get met. I'm just absorbed in that. And yeah, I believe in God, but I'm just absorbed in that. How do you fix that? Well, you follow the rest of that passage and you're going to get this famous saying from Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Can you, can you pull back what we just learned from the Old Testament, the teaching of the Bible on tithing? It is first fruits. It is seeking first the kingdom of God. It is a means of keeping my heart out of this ditch of constantly trying to figure out how do I have enough? How do I get? What do I have? What's what the bank account say? And just living in this turmoil that controls us. I get released from that. By every time money touches my life, I turn back and acknowledge God and I invest in eternity and in transcendent thing and my mind gets pulled from this tight little circle of my existence into somebody else's life and someone else's need and somebody on the other side of the world who I'll never meet in this age who gets to hear the gospel Because you did something transcendent with your money to further God's kingdom. All right, here's my encouragement for us. Some of us have have invented a Christianity, It's, it's an interstate system Christianity. It has lost sight of the journey. It's lost sight of seeing anything along the way. It's just, you know, we've got some goals in mind. We've got a way of life that we want. We just want to get there. 
We want to travel the highway that will get us there the fastest, the least amount of distraction, the least amount of challenge along the way. Just get us there. And that's the mode of Christianity for way too many people. And somebody passed along to me a book that I started to, to look at. This book was not encouraging. It's a described the number of regularly attending church people who tithe, modern tithers. It said 10% of regular church tenders tithe. 10%? I didn't do any homework to see that. can't be right. I mean, these guys are pretty uh, trustworthy people. See, there's this super highway. Everybody's traveling it. Let me just get with the flow, run with the traffic, busy life, live it. And then there's these ancient paths. And if you'll get off of them, you'll see something. If you get off the ancient path, you you get on the path of fasting, you're going to see something. If you get on the path of fellowship, you're going to see something. If you get on the path of tithing, you're, you're going to see something. You're going to give yourself the opportunity to experience new things along that path and see the faithfulness of God, the worthiness of God, the rightness of God, the purpose of God upon the earth, the ownership of God. You're going to get a chance to see those things. But the the sad reality of Christianity, this is why we're so easily enchanted by the age that we live in, is because we haven't seen much of God to be enchanted with. And in this category, we don't want to take the chance. Why? Well, Keith, quite honestly, because tithing would mess up my right here and my right now. That's why we started the series that we did this year. Because I'm extremely convinced that we are so convinced. And I know I had some people ask me about, hey, we taking a long time in this series? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm convinced that we are much more disciples of this enchanted age than we want to admit. And if you want to find out, look at your giving and figure out, do you have the faith to trust God, to give to him the way the Bible prescribes us giving to him? And if I don't, why? It might be that my right here and my right now would get all messed up. You know, when Jesus became Lord of my life, my right here and my right now got all messed up. Severely messed up. All of a sudden, my life has taken on assignments I... I never would have pursued. I have chosen pathways to walk on that I never would have done. And you have too, right? Busy week. When you like to be somewhere else, you got to catch up. Don't be here, right? But you're here because there's a pathway that you said, you know what? There, there's something to experience of God there and I'm going to be there. Well, this is true in your money as well. And I'm going to pray for us. We can close in prayer. Unless Eric has a good tithe song. You got a good tithe song, Eric? All right. Well, come on. Um, I think it's raining outside anyway, so. A part of me wants to say, this is the easiest of the path to walk on. That would be wrong. It's the simplest of the path to walk on. It's not the easiest. 
right? Things can be simple, but still be hard, right? But it's the simplest path to walk on because, well, how do, how do I walk on it? It's not like, you know, like Bible reading and prayer and other things that, you know, I'm going to go hang out with God for like an hour in prayer. It's like, what do I do? No, 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 this is, this is simple. You just bust out a check and write it. Stick it in an offering bucket. That's pretty simple, right? Not easy. But it is pretty simple. How do you, how do you walk in this? Well, very simply, God has, by his design, to rescue us from forgetfulness. God has done something that will give you the regular opportunity to not forget him in many ways. The second God brings provision into your life, give back to him immediately. And train your heart to see transcendent things, to see eternal God in your life, being faithful to you, meeting your needs, loving you as a covenant God, providing for everything that you need and promising to be faithful. That's what first fruits was, right? First fruits was the first of the rest of what was coming. So when we give to God, we say, God, I know there's more where this came from and you will bring it to me in the rest of this harvest and I trust you. Let's stand up together. Father, help us as a modern people with all of our hectic, busy lifestyles to not become interstate Christians. Traveling as fast as we can, doing things as quickly as possible, trying to just squeeze in as much of everything as we possibly can. Lord, give us the courage, the slowness, to take the next exit, to travel ancient paths where we might encounter you, to take your yoke, to learn from you, Jesus, in such a way that we're impacted, we're affected. We've seen something. We travel down a path and we run back to tell others, man, did come down this way. Let me show you what I saw. Lord, if that's not how we're sounding, I need to get off the interstate for a season and find some paths to walk on where we have fresh encounters with you. Stir our lives and affect us. God, we want you to enchant us. And in a strange way, Lord, this topic today gives us an opportunity on a regular basis to turn to you in trust, in hope, in faith, in belief, in the transcendence of what you do, to invest in a kingdom that will last forever, to touch places and lives that we never would have gone on our own, all because you are God. You're over our lives and you own it all, and so we entrust it to you. Lord, would you help us? Would help those that are here this morning and just that they're struggling. Well, how do I, I, I want to take a step in this direction. How do I do it? God, help. Help us. Lord, let this be a turning point for us. Where we made a decision that lasts and lasts and lasts. We began a practice 
that has protected our souls, Lord. We've done something to guard our hearts from forgetting you. So, Lord, what a gift you give to us. Help us now. Receive it for your glory. My soul finds rest in God alone. My rock and my salvation. A fortress strong against my foes. And I will not be shaken. May bless and hearts may curse And lies like arrows pierce me I'll fix my heart on righteousness I'll look to Him who hears me Oh, praise Him, hallelujah My delight and my reward
Lord, help us to look to you this week in every way, Lord, especially, though, the way that we view our possessions, our money, our finances. Lord, let us see this as a way to honor you and glorify you and declare you as our delight and our reward. Lord, so thank you for this message. Thank you for the way that you've uh, stirred our hearts. God, would we give you glory with our lives this week, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.